Hi everybody, I'm Jack Canfield. You probably know me as the co-author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series in the book, The Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. And today on the show, we're going to talk about a success system that never fails, that when applied correctly can help you achieve success in any area of your life, guaranteed. So stay tuned. Congratulations. You are tuned into Dolph Barron's Leadership and Loyalty Show, the number one podcast for Fortune 500 executives and those who are dedicated to creating a quantum leap in leadership. Your host, Dolph Barron, he's an executive mentor to leaders like you, a contributing writer for Entrepreneur Magazine, CEO World, and he's been featured on CNN, Fox, CBS, and many other notable sites. Dolph Barron is an international business speaker who was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hire. Now, over to Dolph Barron. Welcome, dear friends, fans, and fellow aficionados of Leadership Excellence. I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Leadership and Loyalty Tips for Executives. Let me ask you, what do you need to do to up-level your leadership? Do you have a coach or a mentor? Do you have a set of matrix by which... You can measure your personal and professional success. Moreover, do you have a clear set of principles that guide you every step of the way? Well, stay tuned because that's exactly where we're going on today's show. I'm your host, Dolph Barron. I am the Dragonist, and I'm here to assist you tapping into the one thing in your business that changes everything by transforming meaning into action. To find out more about me, you can simply go over to DoveBaron.com. That's D O V. B-A-R-O-N.com. And I want to remind you that this episode of Leadership and Loyalty is brought to you in part by our other podcast, which is Curiosity Bites. Curiosity Bites is the answer to the question, how do we bring people together who completely disagree? This is exactly what your heart and your mind and your soul have been craving. It's your chance to sit in on some real and often intense conversations with some of the world's most interesting people. We're talking about astronauts neuroscientists, philosophers, holy people, quantum physicists, skeptics, entrepreneurs, Grammy award-winning entertainers, and some folks you might automatically think you disagree with and you'll find them truly fascinating. Simply go to DoveBaron.com and find out how you can sink your teeth into another episode of Curiosity Bites. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever it is that you tune into podcasts. And if you're a regular listener, big thank you to you for making us the number one podcast globally for Fortune 500 listeners. And we're honored and grateful to be cited by Inc.com as the number one podcast to make you a better leader with a potential reach of 2.5 to 4 million listeners for every single show over time. All right, let's strip it down and dive right in. Success at best is a slippery fish. Every time you seem to grab hold of it, it's likely to just slip away. To truly enjoy the fruits of your success, you must first define what success actually means to you, not to the world, but to you. You must have a clear set of principles to hold yourself to and a set of the right metrics by which to measure it. The question is, how can you get that clear? Well, stay tuned because that's exactly where we're going on this episode. You see, my guest on this episode is Jack Camfield. He is a world-famous co-author of the New York Times and worldwide smash hit Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, which currently has 300 titles in the series and has sold more than 500 million copies in print in 47 languages. Jack Camfield is also the founder 
and president of Campfield Training Group, which trains entrepreneurs, corporate leaders, coaches, trainers, authors, health practitioners, sales professionals, and motivated individuals in how to accelerate and achieve in their achievement in the personal and professional and financial goals. Jack is a National Speaker Association Hall of Famer. He has appeared on many of the biggest shows, including Oprah, Oprah's Soul, uh, Super Soul Sunday, Montel, Larry King Live, and the Today Show. Jack's clients include FedEx, GE, Johnson & Johnson, KFC, Merrill Lynch, Microsoft, Sony Pictures, and even Virgin Records. His best-known success resources are the New York Times best-selling book, Success Principles, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, and his latest book is Success Principles Workbook. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me welcome Mr. Jack Kempfield. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. You're welcome, Jack. It's good to have you here, mate. Good to see you again. It's been a while since we've been in person together. We were just talking about that before we started recording. Where I would like to start is, you know, we are in... Uh, let's call them different times. Um, and things have changed a lot. And, you know, you and I have worked a lot with leaders around the world for a very long time. From a diagnostic point of view, not even a personal opinion point of view, but just observing, what do you see as the state of leadership today? That could be, of course, corporate, community, could be political, whatever uh, range. What do you see as the state of leadership today? Well, I, th I think the leadership has definitely had to change a little bit. You know, people are, I think, having to look a little deeper. You know, when, mm -hmm. when the S hits the fan, as it were, what happens is the things that used to work don't always work because a lot of leaders go into fear and they go into worrying about, you know, how are we going to make the next dollar? Am I going to have to lay people off? You know, what's going to happen? You know, are our products and services going to still be viable in, in the marketplace and so forth? And fear is never a great place to come from. You know, we go into our amygdala in the back of the brain. It hijacks the prefrontal cortex, which is where our creative thinking occurs. It's where our insights, our innovation and breakthroughs occur. It's where a rational mind, you know, is available to us. So I think what I saw in the beginning of the pandemic was just a lot of fear. It was mm -hmm. an interesting study I read in, in Forbes online about a, a company or a guy who, he's a consultant to companies, and he interviewed about 43 leaders and uh, to see how they, had, how they were doing in the, in the initial stage of pivoting. And what he discovered was that about 23 of them were doing really well and 20 of them weren't. And he started to look at why not. Two things occurred that were fascinating. One is that the people that were succeeding had immediately reached out to everyone else they knew and started asking them, what are you doing? How are you handling this? A lot of leaders don't like to look like they don't know what they're doing. So they don't put themselves at risk, if you will, by asking people, you know, what are you doing? How are you dealing with it? And the second thing he found out was they all were meditators, which I found very fascinating. Mm -hmm. And these were the people that had a certain level of inner calm where they were able to therefore not get hijacked by the, the fear and were able to be, you know, fairly rational and, and successful at what they did. I have a lot of friends who are leadership consultants and what they're finding is more and more people are coming to them right now because they're starting to realize I can't do this alone. I need a coach. I need a mentor. I need someone to help me deal with my limiting beliefs that I may not even know I have. Uh, mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of that happening in, in, in the world. Uh, so, I, you know, leadership is always an issue 
yeah. and I think right now people are having to be better leaders than they've ever been, especially with people working from home. Uh, there's a, like, how do I stay in touch with my team? How do I make sure they feel acknowledged? How do I get ideas from them? How do we, you know, keep the teams working together when they can't get together? Uh, people have what we call, you know, Zoom fatigue uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> around the world right now. But the leaders I'm working with seem to be, you know, doing doing well, doing doing. They're open to learning, and I think yep. that's the thing. I always say you got to learn more to earn more. And right now we have to learn. We have to be learners. One of the things I said to the leaders I was working with when COVID first hit and we went into it, as I said to all the leaders I know, I said, you need me now more than ever. You're going to look at making cutbacks and you need me now more than ever. And they go, well, why? Because you, you know, all the things you've managed, you've always known you have to manage people, but now the rubber has hit the road. Now it's relationship first yes. and, and and if you don't know how to do that you're going to fall down pretty fast because you're managing people's stress as much as anything else so you're absolutely right and i fully agree with that thank you you know one of the things i, I like to bring up at the beginning of the show is that this is a time you know in history where every man and his dog is an expert and and a coach or a consultant or a, and now a uh an influencer one of the questions I like to ask my guests is who is someone that we might not know or might not consider who's been a major influence on you and your leadership? Who might that be that we might not necessarily think of? It's a very good question. I think that there's a guy named Stuart Emery. Most people don't know about him. He uh, was uh, one of the people that uh, ran the Est organization, you know, that Werner Erhard started years ago. Yep. He was the CEO of that. And then uh, he started his own company called Actualizations, wrote a wonderful book called You Don't Have to Rehearse to Be Yourself. And uh, he, he's someone who's kind of always been under the radar. He had huge clients yeah. like, like MasterCard and people like that. So he was usually in companies, but not out in the public so much. And uh, he's written a couple of really good books recently. One was called um, Who's in Your Room? And the mm. idea that, you know, once someone gets in your room, meaning your, your space, your life, bubble if you will hard to get them out and so the, the idea is like you got to have a good doorman and everyone wants to be in your room and so you know we, we can only manage so many relationships you know in terms of, of, of really good relationships so he's been someone that's been a mentor of mine um he, i don't think he's published this book yet but he's writing a book whatever you are be a good one which i really mm -hmm. like that the idea that you know one of the phrases he constantly quotes is, um, you know, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive, because what the yeah. world needs are people who've come alive. And I think when, you know, he teaches a lot about passion. He's passionate about coffee. I'm not so much into that, but if he could tell you the top 10 baristas in the world and all the best grinders and all that kind of stuff. He keeps, uh, he keeps a book that's this thick of every steak he's ever grilled, how how much how thick was the steak? What cut it was? How long did he leave it on the grill? So he's that kind of perfectionist. Everything he does. I mean, when he comes to my house and cooks, it's like, yay! You know, he, of course, yeah. He's this is going to be guy. good. <laughs> yeah, there is no other option. <laughs> I know. And he just wrote a book with Ivan Meisner, who started BNI oh, yeah? Business Network International. I forget what the title is, but uh, check it out. Check it out. So we had Ivan on here a couple of years ago. Yeah, and. Uh, that, that's really interesting that you said Stuart Emery. I mean, I, 
I took Est in the 70s. So the late 70s, I did Est with Werner back in the days when they locked the doors. You know exactly what I mean by that. (laughs) And unless you were Est in the 70s, you don't know what it is. And there's a lot of very watered down versions of it today. But that was some tough love back in those days. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. (laughs) And that really was the the birth of modern uh, personal development um, and and really sort of having us look inwardly in a non, you know, not in a therapist's room, but it's very, very interesting. Now, you... Yeah, I, think, I think what was valuable about what Werner did is he proved that you can put three, four, 500 people in a room and create transformation with large groups. So yes. all of us who were doing work in small groups, but I was one of them, was very much inspired by that. And I remember going out and meeting with Stuart when he was running Axelization. If you can imagine an office where there's a desk with nothing on it, a credenza with nothing on it, a picture of a lion behind it, you know, sideways looking at you like that, lavalier blinds. And I remember walking into that room and sitting down with him, I thought, oh my God, you know, this is like nothing but 100% focus on me. And that was really what Stuart was about, was just 100% attention and intention. And Mm. uh, I was intimidated by him at that time, but now he's become one of my closest personal friends. We have a group called the Gang of Eight that normally we get together every year on my birthday in August and every January. So eight, you know, four couples that all do this kind of work. Another guy who was a major corporate consultant um, was he was the head of NLP for the East Coast for years, a good friend of Banners and Vineyards. And then another guy who is a um, he's a Tibetan Lama who's actually married and uh, drinks tequila and plays pool with me. <laughs> so that's my, that's my core group of guys. They never yeah. You know, and, and, and right there, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but I, I think that this is something, I have the same thing. People ask me this all the time and I say, I have what I call my board of advisors. And, you know, they are my personal tight group. Um, there's, there are two of them in my city. The rest of them live around the world. And we get together, usually, you know, we got together last January, just before it went down. Uh, We get together, we all meet each other all the time, but not in person. But once a year, and it's just this, like, you've got to surround yourself with people who will get you off the pedestal that you, I, I find that for people like us and what we do, it's very easy to find yourself, oh, I didn't realize I was on the pedestal. And you've kind of climbed up there again. And then you have these mates who are like, uh, hold on a minute. I know you. And uh, I know what you like when you've had four tequilas. So stop this nonsense and let's have a real chat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a wife that helps with that as well. Yeah, me too. Thank God. Yeah, I have one of those. Well, the greatest blessing of my life is, you know, here's the reality check, Dove. You're still Dove. Right. There you go. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. So your, I mean, your book, um, success principles. I, I remember meeting, meeting Janet when you, when you guys were putting that together, the whole thing, that's 150 years ago. <laughs> and you were talking about building this empire around it, but it's based on 17 principles. I think that, that I believe that that's right. Um, and by the way, in case you're wondering, this is the new book for everybody with the success principles workbook. Um, it's based on these 17 principles. Uh, t- tell us why you boiled it down to, to them. I mean, like Napoleon Hill had his, and you got down to 17. What, tell us about that. 
Well, originally wrote the first book in 2005 and it had 64 principles in it. That was called the success principles. Mm -hmm. And then I revised it about five years ago and added some new things about social media and, and, you know, crowdsourcing and things like that. But what happened was I noticed that the people that were taking my live workshops, the people that were in our coaching programs, people that would come to our executive retreats, they were getting better results than the people who were just reading the book. Now, amazing things happened from people reading the book. I could tell you a hundred sure. stories of people who became millionaires, started their own business, et cetera. But what I noticed was when there was a coaching aspect to it, they got more. So what we did is we took the 17 core principles, like, you know, in, in American football, you need to know how to pass and block and tackle. And one of the core things you have to have, it's what I call the combination lock. The metaphor I used of is if, if you have a combination lock and you don't know all the numbers in the right order, you can open the lock. Mm -hmm. But if you're missing one number, it won't open. I don't care how hard you turn it. You got a lot of people out there in leadership positions, just in life in general, who are missing numbers. You know, yep. we talked earlier about communication skills, the ability to listen, the ability to, uh, you know, brainstorm together, the ability to acknowledge people, all these different things. So if you have all those numbers in the right order, and that's the key, a lot of people have the right numbers, they know what to do, but they're not doing it sequentially in the right way. Mm -hmm. So if you have all that, then you can be successful. So we said, okay, what are the core exercises, principles, strategies, techniques, disciplines you need to have in order to be successful and what's the order they need to be in. And that's what we put in the workbook. So it really is like a coaching program between the covers of a book. And what mm. we did, we tested it with about 30 people who'd never been exposed to our work and said, just read this book, do the exercises, and then we're going to come back to you in a couple of months and find out what happened because we want to make sure it actually worked as a book. And it did. And people were reporting, you know, amazing, amazing results. So that's, we picked the core principles that you have to know. I mean, basically you have to know your life purpose. You have to know what your vision of what your perfect life looks like. You have to turn that into goals. You have to have a belief that it's possible. But we can unpack these a little bit if you want. But then what happens is you then have to have affirmations and visualization. You have to visualize what you want. Because if you're not visualizing what you want, you're visualizing what we don't want, which we call fear. And then we've got to have uh, action. We have to take action. And there's two kinds of action, obvious and inspired. We'll talk about that. And then you have to persevere. You have to respond to feedback. And you know, then there's a couple other things like mastermind groups and accountability partners that are, are built in there. So these were the things that basically, if someone said, just show me enough that I can be successful at anything I want to do, that would be the core. And that's, what the, right. that's how this book came to be. So I know you said about it being sequential and, and these being the certain combination of the right numbers for the lock. Um, and as you said, many people, certainly in the leadership realm, uh, let's say, first of all, many people think they have all the combination and often don't. Right. Um, many people think they have the right sequence and they often do in past tense, meaning it, it, what they had was the right sequence for 1990 or even yes. 2000, but not for today. Because that, that I, I find that that code changes in the context of whatever it is you're doing. And so where does agility fit in with this? Because, you know, you talked about the right things and the right sequence, but then there's the agility of if you're doing what, uh, if you're doing today, November uh, 2020, what you were doing in November 2019, you are now out of business. Right, right. So 
Talk to us a little bit about the agility applied to these principles. Sure. Let me give you a context for that, and then I'll speak Thank to that. You. So there's a, a formula in my book in the first chapter, which says take 100% responsibility for your life. You have to give up blaming, complaining, excuse making, all of that. And there's a formula of E plus R equals O, which is the essence of all the work that we teach. Mm -hmm. And E plus R equals O stands for event plus response equals outcome. So everything in your life is an event. So the pandemic was an event. The lockdowns were an event. You know, the, the surges that happened were an event. And, and the, you know, people losing their income, it's an event. So everything that occurs, one of my friends calls it, the world's just out there worlding. And we have to mm -hmm. respond to that. Yep. And then E plus R equals O. So there's a response that produces an outcome. So what happened is when the, well, let's go back. Two plus two always equals four. Mm -hmm. So the world's doing two, I'm doing two, that's the leadership skills I have and whatever, and I'm getting a four and I'm happy. You know, mm -hmm. we have, we're profitable, we're growing, it's wonderful. But all of a sudden the world does a zero, like the pandemic or a one, now I'm getting two or three, I can't keep doing two and getting four. So mm -hmm. I've got to change, I've yes. got to change. And change is required. You know, the only thing that never changes is change. You've heard that a million times. So we've got to be willing to be agile. We have to be willing to be honest. Many people put their head in the sand and hoped it would go away, including our American president, who kept saying, you know, oh, it's going to go away in the spring. It'll go away in the summer. It'll go away. It didn't go away. It's not going away. We had 140,000 uh, people recorded, you know, the day we're recording this that, that got uh, COVID. So the reality is that we have to be able to respond and change our response. The word responsibility means the ability to respond, to, respond. to change our response. So we have to constantly be in that agile mindset, that agile framework, you know, what is required. And again, one of the major things we teach is, is feedback. You know, most people don't pay attention to the feedback. People don't ask for feedback. Uh, I remember one of the most successful people in my business, which is human development, guy named Bill Harris, uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he ran a company called Holosync. And when 9-11 happened and the whole country of America went like crazy and everyone was in fear, he stopped all of his business for 20 days. And all he did was get online and answer people's questions. He had about 150,000 people that were customers of his. And he said, all I'm going to do is answer your questions. It became of service. And what he said, I found out there were all kinds of things they wanted and needed that I had no idea. I was just talking with Jarek Robbins about a week ago, Tony Robbins' son. And he talked about, if you want to be successful, you need to know what your clients and customers want, need, and desire. And mm -hmm. what they need is one thing. They, may, they need transportation. They want a car. They desire a Cadillac or a BMW. And so if you don't know that, if you're not constantly, and when, the, when, the, um, when COVID hit, people's needs and desires and wants changed. You know, and so you've got to be in touch with the marketplace and you have to be willing to be to be quick. And that's one of the things I love about business. I used to be in the world of education. It takes about 10 years to get a transformation of anything in education. It has to go through all these boards and state people and you know, board of education and everything, very slow. But in business, you can pivot very quickly. You know, obviously, the smaller we are, at least the, the agile mindset, we can pivot. And if you don't pivot, you know, we saw a lot of companies take a big hit because they didn't. Yeah. Well, you were, I mean, uh, it's interesting because you, you were a school teacher, right? Years ago. I started so out as a high school history teacher. Right. right. So you're, and, and you know, essentially you're still a teacher, 
but the the form has changed and the rigidity has changed and the accessibility to uh to imp to application of what it is you're doing i think you know for me that's the thing about it is that I i'm frustrated with teaching if you're not doing anything with it <laughs> it's like so you know we we have the advantage of being able to check on that and that's what you've laid out with this book with with the workbook is that this is a way for people to actually see if they're actually applying what it is because uh, you know again i don't know if you remember jack but i owned a personal development company for many many years like decades and one of the reasons i got out was because i was frustrated with with the recycling business people were you know coming into my programs they're going into halves programs they're going into tony's programs you know and they were just cycling through all these different programs right. from one to the other and back again and i was like oh, this is frustrating and what you've laid out in the book is this is how you self-check this is how you follow the principles and you hold yourself accountable talk to us a little bit about that part because the accountability i think is so key and it's a, again it's a slippery fish we we like to think we're accountable when we're not and all oftentimes we'll ask people to hold us accountable who actually are the people who own the smoke machines that they blow up our skirt rather than telling us the truth sure no, there's a great, a great quote from benjamin franklin who said uh, learning really only occurs when a behavior is changed you know it's one thing to be able to spout off information I have, you can see all the books behind me. I've read over 3000 books. And if I didn't do what was in them, I'd have what I like to call shelf esteem. You know, mm -hmm. the, the, the bookshelf looks good, but nothing's happening in life. And so what, what, what the workbook is about, it literally is a workbook. It's a book that you have to work through. There are exercises, there are forms to fill out. There are activities to do. There are disciplines of success that we teach you. For example, one of the things I mentioned earlier, uh, about people meditating. I did the forward for two books last year. One was called Homeless to Billionaire by a guy named Andres Pira, who lives in Thailand. He was living on the beaches in Phuket at 19, homeless, literally sleeping on beach towels. And someone gave him the book, The Secret. He read it, thought it was bullshit, and basically said, this is crap, I don't believe it. But he was living on a beach. He had nothing to do. So he said, I'm going to try a couple of these exercises. And he manifested a cup of coffee. He manifested a free dinner. He manifested a job. Then he manifested being the sales manager. Long story short, 15 years later, he's worth $3 billion. He builds a hotel and resorts in, in Phuket. Um, another guy, Raphael Badziag from Poland, interviewed 21 billionaires, eight, 17 countries, 17 different industries, ages 39 to 81, every one of them did three things. So Tony Robbins likes to say success leaves clues. You know, the people that have succeeded. So one thing, they all meditated, which I was surprised to find. You know, a mm -hmm. guy in Russia who's building a huge supermarket, he opens up, he opens up one supermarket every 17 days in Russia. And it's just wow. like, you know, it's just going crazy. Another guy builds half the windshields in the world for automobiles in China. And they all meditated. They all got up before five o'clock. So they started their day running and they all exercised and they were all readers. So here's this 81 year old guy making windshields. Then he gets up, he has a home gym, he exercises. The guy's gonna go on his jet to go somewhere. He gets up at 3.30 and exercises. He's not gonna not do that. And so the reality is there are 
techniques, if you will, that we need to do, disciplines of success. So what we do in the book is we walk you through each principle one at a time. How do you get in touch with, what is your life purpose? We all know, you know, from Simon Sinek and people like that, we, we need to know our why. What's our why? Why are we here? As Stephen Covey said, you don't want to get to the top of the ladder and realize it's leaning against the wrong wall. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are chasing what they think is success, but they get there and they're not happy. And we right. see a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of power committing suicide, getting divorced, becoming drug addicts, drinking too much, you know, not talking to their children, you know, it's so on and so forth. So basically, there are techniques which we walk you through in the book. And we also have you access a guided visualization uh, on our website that you can listen to as well. Then looking at where am I not taking 100% responsibility? Who am I blaming? you know, we are in a blame culture right now. You know, we, yeah. we, the president blames fake news. Each of the channels blames the other channel for you're the problem, the Democrats mm -hmm. and the Republicans, the conservatives and the liberals. We blame other countries. We blame immigrants. We blame the Wall Street people. We blame, you know, Euro, uh, the uh, European Union, if you're in Britain, you know, on it goes. And so we've got to think, how are you blaming? Who are you blaming? Let's get rid of that. What do you have to do instead? What are you complaining about? Complaining means you have a reference point of something you prefer that you're not willing to risk creating. So everyone's mm. complaining about something, but you can't complain about it if you didn't know there was something better that existed. And so if we know something better has existed, then the only issue is why are we not creating that? Because right. there's some fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of losing face, fear of losing money, whatever it might be. So we have to get out of that game. We have to quit making excuses. And we go through each principle like that with exercises that help you literally get clear. Like you can't, it's like looking in the mirror and actually seeing all the little, you know, pockmarks on your face and so forth, so that you realize this is what's so. And now what are the options that I have to do it correctly? And then there's daily practices. You know, at the end of each chapter, we give you like you know, anywhere from five to 15 things to do what we call keep it alive. You know, how do you keep right. your commitment alive? 100% commitment. And, and so forth and so on. So that's basically the idea. And, and literally, we have, think about this stuff. Nobody got this, nobody got this stuff in school. No. You know, I, I taught school for a number of years. And the reason I got out is I was more interested in why my kids weren't motivated to learn than I was in teaching history. So I studied with a man named W. Clement Stone, who was a good friend of Napoleon Hill. They wrote a book together called The Success System That Never Fails. And I said, I started using those techniques with my kids. They started succeeding. The other teacher said, teach us what you're doing. Because I had kids on probation that would sneak into school, come to my class and sneak out again. <laughs> they didn't want to miss the class. That, you know? is, that, that is quite the endorsement. Yeah. I know it was an all black school too. These were not kids that were like super motivated, but they got motivated. And, you know, I, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I'm flying through O'Hare many, many years ago. I get home, I open up my suitcase and there's a little card inside. It says, if you're the Jack Canfield who taught at Calumet High School, I was in your class. I'm now the supervisor of TSA for the Chicago airport and you changed my life. So that- Oh, like, wow. That is so awesome. Yeah, I was like- 30 or 40 years after it happened, you know? That is so cool. Yeah. That is so cool. Amazing. So what do you think it is? I mean, you know, we talked about people know. One of my things to say is that information is worth the hole in the donut. Transformation comes from application. 
and we we don't live in a time where there's any shortage of knowledge there's more knowledge than you could possibly consume why do you, what do you see as the i mean outside of the the label which is fear obviously why do you think that people are not what specifically do you think that is stopping people from stepping into you know reading your book my books or anybody's books doing the workshops whatever it is and stepping in and really going to that level of not just success, but extraordinary levels, you know, because there is a, there is a higher level. And, and I think we all know that. What do you yeah. think stops people? I think, well, fear is one thing, obviously, but I think underneath fear, there are what I call unconscious limiting beliefs. Right. Beliefs you have that were formed between the ages of three and eight years old that you don't even know you have. They mm -hmm. just feel like, they just feels like it's truth, you know, or you're not even aware of it. It's just stopping you. Um, I'll give you an example. I'm working with a private client right now. I don't do that a lot, but this guy just sold a company for tens of millions of dollars and didn't know what he was going to do next and said, I'll pay you anything in order to help me. I went, okay, here's what anything is. And he agreed. So, so we're working together. Good deal. And um, what happened for him, he sold this company. He was in a movie, built a movie production company, did very well, decided to get out of it. Saw the movie, The Secret, decided to get more spiritual, decided to move on. And, but he was stuck six months living in Miami, doing the Miami scene, not, you know, playing, having a good time, but miserable because he would have no purpose. Mm -hmm. And so we started to look at why he wasn't getting clear. And what happened was he was in a litigation with these people that he had just sold his half of the company that he got out of to. And he was really in this place of like, I just want to kill them. I, you know, it's a half a million dollar lawsuit and I, I just want to beat them. I said, great, so close your eyes, get in touch with that feeling. I want you to go back to the earliest time you felt that way. He went back to when he was 14, he was living in Italy, he was skateboarding and he tried a trick, it didn't work. He fell down and a bunch of guys laughed at him. And he went over to these guys and he said, at that moment, I wanted to be accepted by them. So I stopped being myself and I started being what I thought other people wanted me to be. Mm. And, and, it, and I said, so, so what did you really want to do at that point? He said, I really wanted to beat him up. So I said, close your eyes and imagine beating him up, beat the hell out of him. So he did that. And then he said, I said, so how's that feel? He said, that didn't help. I said, so what's another alternative? So he went over and he talked to him from his heart. You know, hey, you guys are making fun of me. This is a big deal. I, I, I'm the kind of guy who takes chances. You guys obviously don't. You'd rather sit around and laugh at people who do. And I'm just going to keep being myself. And he had an epiphany and his, his whole physiology changed. I'm watching, I'm doing this whole thing on Zoom like I'm doing with you. And... He said that was the most amazing experience of my life. He went to a party a week later. He said, I felt weird. I said, what was weird? He said, I never felt like that before. So I'm, I'm, I was happy. I wasn't trying to impress anybody. I was just being me. And then the next day he called me, he said, I now know what I want to do. I'm going to be an artist. And he's a, he's a very artistic guy. He was running this movie production place. And so it was this limiting choice he made that it's not okay to be myself at the age of 14 that was stopping him from taking the next step and moving in, he'll be super successful because he's very creative and now mm -hmm. he's free. So it's that kind of thing. I had another guy who had a belief that he, you know, he formed when he was 20, that it was not okay to make more money than his father. So he mm -hmm. showed his first paycheck to his father and his father was like disappointed. And he said, why? His mother said, you made more money the first month than your dad made. He's been working at the same company for 10 years. It was a sales company for insurance. And so what happens is he didn't want to make his dad feel bad, forgot he made that choice. And here he is, you know, totally locked in. 
did a similar process with him. And what happens? In 20, it said in the next two days, he made 22% of his income. Uh, he went on to five times his income that year. He's now one of the top, he owns a sales training company now, doing very, 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 very well. And they were, none of them were aware of that. So we have these limiting beliefs. I often use this metaphor. Imagine, Dov, that you're getting on a, you know, British Airways plane and the, the pilot's walking on and he's six years old. And you look at this guy, he's six years old with three stripes on his sleeve and he gets into the cockpit, sits down in the pilot seat and you're there in first class looking at him and going, what? How comfortable would you feel with a six-year-old piloting a 747? Most of us not. And yet mm -hmm. most of us are walking around with a six to eight-year-old running our lives and we're not even aware of it. I think that's the big thing. And I'll just make this offer to your, your, your viewers and listeners. Three or four times a year, I do a free call where I, I walk people through the process I just talked about. I'll have 2,000 people on that call from 28 countries. And if you want to get notice of that, just go to jackcanfield.com and it says, you know, sign up for your mailing list. Just do that and you'll get mailed when I do that. I always do it in January, usually about May and usually about October. So I'd love Wonderful. to have you. Wonderful. Wonderful. We'll definitely that. let people know about that. That's yeah. That's awesome. You know, I mean, I, I fully agree because my background is in psychology and I, I never cease to be amazed by how so much of what people's lives are run by, they people actually believe that they're cognitively aware of the beliefs they have. And, and so much of what we believe is driven from an unconscious place. And one of my sayings is, uh, nobody is nobody is objective in a subjective reality. You, I like that. Uh, you, you you know the the fish cannot describe the water, and you're swimming in your own psychology. You cannot describe it. And this is one of the things that, that I believe is so important about having people like like Jack, like myself, like other people who do what we do, is not because we're freaking brilliant, but because because we are not we are not in your reality. We are objective in your subjective reality we can step right into it but not be it and that gives us a way to describe it to you so that you can go oh really wow that's coming from there and it's not that we're giving you the answer as you just demonstrated jack we're helping you to reveal to yourself oh my god this is exactly what it is this is exactly where it's coming from and sometimes it's not even about changing the belief as you just said Sometimes it's just about saying, oh, I could just do it from a different place. Yes, absolutely. So oftentimes people say, well, would this mean that I'm going to change my career? And I, my answer is, mm -hmm. and they go, yes. And I go, I don't know. And they go, what do you mean? I said, you, your career might change dramatically. You might do exactly the same thing from a completely different place. And instead of being frustrated with it, now you're on fire. You're in fully in what I call your dragon fire in doing what it is you're doing you're looking because you've breathed fire onto the lies of your of what you were telling yourself and suddenly it's transformed and that's so powerful right who got you there because i mean obviously jack you're 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 world famous uh, anybody in the personal development world knows jack camfield everybody knows chicken soup for the soul i originally met you through your writing partner through mark victor hansen 100 years ago um who got you on that path? Because you were, uh, as you said, you were a high school teacher. Was it W. Clement Stone or was it before that? Or what, what was it? 
I would say, yeah, it was two things. It was W. Clement Stone was one part of it. Um, I was at the Graduate School of Education at the University of Chicago. Um, and there was a woman who lived about a block from me. She was a, a psychologist. And she said, come to one of my weekend workshops. And I did. And um, it just opened up a world of emotion to me uh, and feelings. You know, I was not aware of that part of the world existing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had a taste of it. I went to Harvard as an undergraduate. I graduated from the half of the class that made the top half possible. So I don't want people to think I'm a, you know, 165 IQ, but I played football and they needed an end on the team. So uh, that's how I got in there. But the point being my senior year, I was looking for an easy A, you know, you don't want to work too hard your last semester. And it was a course called Social Relations 10. It was in the psychology department. And it was basically an encounter group where people talked about their feelings and communicated with each other. And I took that and went, oh, I like this. This is this is interesting. But I didn't have enough courses undergraduate to go into psychology. So he said, well, go into education. You can teach history. You can kind of slowly sneak over into psychology through education, which I did when mm -hmm. I realized I really wanted to learn how to motivate my students. That's when I met W. Clement Stone. I met this woman. And I took a workshop at the Stone Foundation called Achievement Motivation. And that's where I learned about goal setting and values and, and, and affirmations and visualization and doing it now, having accountability partners and mastermind groups, a lot of the basic stuff. Sure. You know, later, later on, we all learned about NLP and EFT tapping and all the different things that are now available to us, which I've sure. constantly added to my, you know, armatorium, if you will. But that's how it all started, you know, and, and Stone, I'll share a quick story with you. When I went to work for Stone, it was an intake interview. And he asked me three questions. The first one, he said, do you take 100% responsibility for your life? And I said, I don't know. And he said, what's well, a yes or no answer, son? <laughs> and I said, well, I think so. He said, well, if you don't know for sure. I said, well, what do you mean 100%? He said, do you ever blame anyone for anything? Of course. Ever make excuses? Yeah. Ever you know, complain about things? Yeah, you don't take 100% responsibility. So we're going to teach you how to do that. Number two, do you watch television? I said, yes, I do. He said, how many hours a day? I said, I don't know. He said, again, think. So I said, well, good morning, America, for an hour, maybe Johnny Carson, maybe a late movie, whatever. So three hours a day. He said, cut out one hour a day. I said, okay, what do I do with it? He said, that's going to give you 365 additional hours a year. That's the equivalent of nine and a half work weeks. And what you can do with that is anything useful. You know, because you're watching other people get rich while you're not. Right. And I said, okay. And so he said, I want you to read. I want you to, you know, sell. I want you to, you know, take courses. But don't be watching so much television. It's not good for you. And so I didn't. And uh, that, that made a huge, huge difference in my life. And um, he also asked me, he said, um, I want you to make a list of the five people you spend the most time with. And then he said, put a plus sign next to everyone who's positive and a minus sign next to everyone who's negative. And anyone with a minus sign, I want you to stop spending time with them. And I went, his name was W. Clement Stone, but his, the, the W was William, was, everyone called him Bill. And he said, I said, Bill, um, my mother's name has a minus sign next to it. What yeah. do I do? <laughs> he said, Christmas and Easter, that's it, son. That's you know? it. And uh, she was an alcoholic at the time. She later got sober and it wasn't so much of a problem, but uh, that was my that was my first exposure, and he he was no screwing around, you know. So so I mean, there's likely a lot of people here who don't know who W. Clement Stone was. You probably heard of Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. 
Well, Napoleon Hill was a great influence on W. Clement Stone, and they, as you said, they wrote a book together. Um, but how did you, I mean, like W. Clement Stone was in the insurance world, right. I believe. How yes. did you get to be in that world? I mean, him. it seems like a, a weird mix, right? Yeah, no, no. He, well, it is a weird mix because I'm fairly liberal and he's fairly conservative. I used to call him a Tibetan monk in a Republican's body. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he, he, he was very conscious, but also very conservative. But, you know, he was really brilliant in the elevator one day. And I'll tell you how I got to him in a minute. But in the elevator one day, I didn't spend that much time with him after that. But one day we were in the elevator for a minute. And I said to him, you know, you given me free reign to do anything I want. He said, go take any workshop anywhere in the world. I'll pay for it. If you need to go somewhere to do that, I'll pay for your travel. I mean, and I took advantage of it. I think I took 38 weekend workshops, you know, the next 50 some weeks. And um, I said, why, why are you supporting me so much? And we disagree on a lot of things, you know, I'm more mm -hmm. liberal, you're more conservative. And he drew two circles that overlap like that. Yeah. And he said, here's where we disagree. But in this little part in the middle, we agree. But if we only talk about that and focus on that, we can be super successful together. Because he mm -hmm. wanted to take all the gang leaders in Chicago and turn them into entrepreneurs with, with real businesses. Because yep. gang leaders are basically the greatest network marketers in the world yep. when you think about Fantastic. drug distribution, yep. you know? So, so basically, um, how I got involved with him, he had a foundation, which he started, called the W. Clement and Jesse V. Stone Foundation. And they were dedicated to teaching teachers in schools how to teach these success principles to kids. So because I was in this inner city school and the only person that was in there, because most of the other teachers were from the suburbs, white, um, he hired me, take this into the ghetto basically. And that's what mm. I did for years all through, you know, Michigan, like Detroit and in and, and the Milwaukee, Wisconsin and so forth, you know, urban places. I ended up teaching teachers to teach these principles. We developed a curriculum called About Me. We later developed a book called The Success, uh, the, uh, what was it called? Self-Esteem in the Classroom. Right. So he was really dedicated to making a difference. And yeah. as he said, you know, the more people you serve, the more the world will serve you back. Well, you know, you also said something I think is extremely timely for now. Um, my other podcast for those people who are listening who don't know is called Curiosity Bites. And the whole principle of it is that curiosity is the cure for the world. And what I mean by that is exactly what W. Clemens just said to you. It's the places where we overlap. We can be very different, but there are places where we overlap. And we only find those through curiosity rather than through I'm right, you're wrong, vice versa. Yeah. So that, for me, that's such a, a powerful principle. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me respond to that for just a second. Yeah. I'm sure you know who Marshall Goldsmith is. You probably know him. And Marshall teaches this wonderful process that I use in my groups where he says, has everyone think of one thing you want to be better at. And then I want you to go out and mill around for the next half hour in the group. Maybe about 100, 100 people in, in the group. And just go up to them and say, I want to get better at, you know, losing weight, uh, you know, finding more people to be in my downline and my network marketing company, whatever it is. Can you give me one idea? And after about a half an hour, people have about 40 ideas. And what happened was they went out and they asked and the point he makes, because he works with CEOs like the CEO of Ford Motor Company, people like that, is most CEOs, most leaders don't ask people under them for ideas because they yep. think they have to look like they know it all they think they, their their receptionist is not going to be useful 
By the way, the receptionist knows more about what's going on in your company than anybody because she talks to all these people who are waiting to see you and that she knows what's going on, who's upset, who's trying to get meetings and so forth. So that that idea, if you want to know the brand of a company, ask the receptionist. There you go. Curiosity is one of the most powerful tools of anybody, especially mm -hmm. leaders, to be curious, to want to know. When I was training to be a therapist, I worked with this guy. There you go. Stay curious. <laughs> this guy, uh, his name was Orp Polster. He was a Gestalt therapist, and he was training a bunch of us to be therapists. And I once asked him, I said, so what's the number one thing of anything? He said, be curious. Mm -hmm. Be curious. If someone is like, if someone can't do something, you say, wow, teach me how to be like you. Teach me to be afraid of men. Show me how to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and now they're teaching you what their internal world is that's keeping yeah. them stuck, you know? Yeah. And so curiosity is so important in the relationship and your spouse with your employees. You know, I have lunch with my employees regularly and I ask them, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your experience of working here? If anything less than a 10 gets a follow-up question, what would it take to make it a 10? And then they tell me what's missing to have the perfect experience of working in our company. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of 10, I can help them either create that or provide that, not always, but mostly. And that's a question I ask my wife every Sunday night. That's a question I ask at the end of any, every seminar. So, you know, we talked about asking for and responding to feedback. Ken Blanchard, the guy who wrote The One Minute Manager, said feedback is the breakfast of champions. And so we have to be willing to listen to and solicit feedback. Anyway, I jumped in on you there, but that, I thought... Well, it's okay. So, um, you know, one of the things here, Jack, I think is important is, you know, you and I both did the therapy thing. Uh, I was a therapist for many years. You, you did that training too. Um, and I think that it's really important that people get... And I say this all the time, that get that it's a journey. And anybody who's on that journey knows it's a journey. But we understand that looking in from out there, it looks like oh, we, we've made it, we're there. And, and, and almost the, the, it's part of the American dream is, is this, this idea of rags to riches, but we don't look at the the journey in between those two places. So one of the questions I want to ask you is, what was the biggest thing that you had to get over? All right, because, and, and maybe aside to that, connected to that, what are you still working on? Because it is a journey. I know there are many things in my life I'm still working on. But what, what was the sort of main thing you had to get over that was just like, this was the stumbling block. Maybe it was a revelation about the internal belief systems or whatever it was. I think there were several things. Number one, I had very low self-esteem growing up. Uh, I, you know, if I didn't meet a girl naturally somewhere, there's no way I was walking up to someone and having some cool line and asking them for a date. It just never happened. Uh, the girls I dated in college were my lab partners and you know, biology, whatever, because that was easy. I did get over that. Uh, but it was very, very difficult for me. I think mm -hmm. the second thing that's related to that was learning to ask. You know, I wrote a book called The Aladdin Factor. Yeah. Uh, John, do you know who John D. Martini is? Of course. Okay, so John and I were talking once, 
And he said, I know all the issues you have. And I said, why is that? He said, I noticed the books you write. He said, every book you write for the public, you're really writing to, to yourself. Because whatever issues you have, we used to say in graduate school, if you have an issue, create a curriculum around it. You know, when I was in graduate school of education. And so I wrote a book called Aladdin Factor, how to ask for and get everything you want. Because asking was a real issue for me. Fear of rejection, fear of being an imposition on people, all of that. Well, you can't be successful in the world. You know, every transaction, you're either making an offer or, or making a request. And so I had to learn to do that. Another big thing for me was just speaking. You know, I'm, I'm more introverted. I'm what's called a situational extrovert. I can be extroverted like now when I want to be. But, you know, you see all the books behind me. I love all that. And, um, and I would say the last thing that I'm working on now is I tend to overwhelm myself. I'm what's called a three on the Enneagram. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but basically I'm a high achiever which is I always want to get one more thing done, one more thing done, one more thing done. I know and, nothing um, about this. I have no experience of this in my own life at all. <laughs> I've read about those kinds of people, but I know nothing about them. <laughs> oh, do it, my eye. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And so for me, I just did a workshop. I, I was doing a workshop for people who want to be best-selling authors. The woman was there. She's a acupuncturist, Eastern medicine doctor, and an Enneagram person. And what she found is that every, every number on the Enneagram, which is these nine personality types, has a specific thing they'll probably die from. Mm. And for, for us threes, it's heart attack and stroke because we overdo, our blood pressure gets high. And she said, I bet you don't go to bed early. I said, no, I don't. She said, you'll want to get one more thing done, one more thing done, read one more thing, watch one more newscast, watch one more thing online. And I said, that's true. And she said, you're not getting enough rest. You're not getting enough recovery. And that's the people who die of stroke. So for me, learning to say no has been a big issue. And then delegating, you know, not, not doing everything myself. So I do much better at that, no question. But sure. I'm, no, I'm still not perfect. I'm still not perfect. But I, I think it's a very important lesson, Jack, that, again, people really have to understand that there is no there. And uh, everybody I've met and in all the years of working with extraordinary human beings from every walk of life, the most successful people are the ones who understand there is no end. The, the, you know, I'm done when they put me in a box. That's it. I'm learning till the last breath. Uh, and, um, and, I'm, and I fully recognize that I'm screwing up all the time. What can I do better? How can I yeah. not only be of service better, but part of being of service is also recognizing where I'm not getting it right yet. And I need to shift that. Well, one of the, one of the things I teach is something called the evening review. And it's just for everybody, including executives is before you go home from work or the night before you go to bed. Um, and, and this is a problem now because most people are watching TV or something before they go to bed. So they, they've lost that sense of discipline. But what you want to do is just close your eyes, go inside, and you can just ask yourself, there's a higher part of yourself, and you say, show me where I could have been a better person today. Or if you're working on a certain characteristic, like you're developing patience, or you're developing perseverance, or you're developing being bolder in your request, show me where I could have been bolder, show me where I could have been more patient. And I swear, every time you do that, you're going to see two or three things will come into your mind. 
Now what you do is you replay those in your mind the way you would have liked to have been had you been conscious and intentional. And what that does, it starts laying down a blueprint. So when you find yourself in that situation in the future, your subconscious mind has a pathway to say, oh yeah, we're going to practice being more patient right now. You know, if we're in a line at the bank or we're all going to be Christmas shopping, mostly online, but some people will be out of the stores. But there's a great line in uh, Eckhart Tolle's Power of uh, now book now where he now. talks about being in line in beverly hills and he finally gets up to the front of the line which was a long line and a woman says thank you for waiting and he said i wasn't waiting and she said no i've seen you you've been in line for 15 minutes you've been waiting he says no i wasn't waiting she said what do you mean he said well waiting would mean that being up here with you was better than being back there by myself so i wasn't waiting to get up here i was being with myself back there perfectly content you know and so like when I read that, that rocked my world because I mm -hmm. tend to be impatient because I want to get a lot of things done. And I now am just in the now. And so I'm mm -hmm. much calmer. I'm much more patient. And so every day for a couple of months, I would ask myself, where could I have been more patient today? And sure enough, things showed up. You yeah. know, a couple so, of them might show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I would just say to everyone watching this, you know, pick something and make it a discipline find some book, like one year my wife and I took The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, and we divided the year into four quarters. And each quarter we lived that principle until we really embodied it. So, you know, it's not, it's, you know, you can read a book like this, but if you don't do what's in it, it's not gonna do you any good. And you nope. can say, well, I read this book by Tony, I read this book by Harvecker, I read this. But if you're not asking yourself, how do I assimilate that into my life? You know, Napoleon Hill said it's awareness, assimilation and action and mm -hmm. so when it shows up in your actions then we know you've changed that, that is a great place to finish jack thank you because you i was going to say to you what you know what's a practicality and you just you just nailed it you gave it exactly that so is there is there any other one little sort of i like to call it the punch in the nose that you want to lay on us so that people are like go away and do something because sure. information's worth the hole in the donut. Yeah, I will say that. I just want to remind people, you can go to my website at jackcampbell.com. And if you put a forward slash transformation after that, we'll send you every day for 10 days, a little three minute video of one of these principles we're talking about, and then a, an activity to integrate it into your day. And also, you know, go to Amazon and get the book uh, or wherever you buy your books online, uh, the Success Principles Workbook. What I would leave everyone with is this you have everything you need to accomplish anything you want. You're not given a dream, a vision, a hope, or a wish if you don't have the capacity to achieve it. It's, it's, I've just learned this from working with millions of people in over 50 countries around the world in live seminars, coaching programs, whatever. So whatever your dream is, whatever you're kind of secretly wishing you could do, I want you to know you have the capacity to do it. You may have to learn something new, you may have to read a few books. You might have to go get a certification you don't have. You might have to partner up with somebody. But the point is you have the capacity. Don't die with your dreams still in you. That's, that's a travesty. You were born with a purpose to fulfill, and the world needs it. If everyone would follow their heart, we'd have all the food we need. We'd, all the airplanes would run on time, and they'd be mechanically sound. People would be making music. People would be running seminars and podcasts you know, running the internet so it all works because everyone has that purpose and they're all different, but they're all mm -hmm. necessary. So you are necessary. Yeah. So make sure you live your dream because we need you.
I fully agree. Thank you for that. Please reiterate to everybody where they can find out more about you and all your wonderful resources because there is a lot. Yeah. Go to jackcanfield.com. It's C-A-N as in Nelly, F-I-E-L-D.com. And uh, there's, we have online courses, we train trainers, we have courses you can take yourself and your family through both audio, video and online. There are a lot of books there or stuff on parenting. You know, one of the books that one of the sound engineers on the last thing I just did said his brother was an alcoholic. And I wrote a book called The 30 Day Sobriety Solution. And that was the book that got him sober. So there's, there's the, the, we can apply the success principles to any area of your life. So there's a lot of re, lot of value, value there. And again, yeah. if you just put Jack Campfield forward slash transformation, you'll be getting this download to your iPhone, your iPad, your computer every day. And you can have that 10 day course and you can download the first chapter of the success from the book before you ever get it. So, yeah, that's so great. Start, start now. Yeah. And as I said, there are so many resources that Jack has. And, you know, if you Google Jack Canfield, you know, you'll have plenty to plenty to sink your teeth into. And I, I really want to thank you, Jack, for being with us today. Thank you for all that you shared. Thank you for your generosity. It's always a pleasure and honor seeing you. And I hope you'll stay with us to the end. And for you, dear listener, remember that you can hang out with other conscious leaders and chat about this episode or any past episodes inside of our Facebook or LinkedIn groups. Just look for the Leadership and Loyalty Podcast because it doesn't matter how successful you are. If your employees and your customers don't understand what gives your company meaning, you're only working at a fraction of your capability. To find out how you can hire me, Dov Barron, as a speaker or leadership strategist, or uh, executive advisor for yourself or your organization, simply go to dovebaron.com because unified meaning, or as we call it, finding a dragon fire is the one single monolithic difference between greatness and mediocrity in companies and in individuals. I want to thank you for sharing the show with everybody you know. Till next time, stay curious, my friend. Stay curious about the principles that you're holding yourself accountable to in your success. I'm Dove Barron. I'm here to assist you tapping into your Dragonfire to reach that next level of clarity, focus, purpose, and profit in your business, your life, and your leadership impact. And I am out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.